Lieutenant Pike? And Laura? Coming up, Captain Pike reunites with a former flame. But an incredibly dark secret she's hiding will put his morality to the test. My implants rebuild biological functions using quantum mechanics. This is true. Disease and suffering will be things of the past. While giving Dr. Mbegat's critically ill daughter a potential cure. We break down this week's episode and reveal the top three moments that made this episode of Strange New Worlds revealing. All this and more coming up on Energize. 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 We're boldly going into the uncharted regions of the Star Trek universe before James T. Kirk. You're listening to Energize, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast, your source for in-depth analysis, colorful debate, and exciting discussions about the new adventures of Captain Pike and the Enterprise crew. I'm your host, Anthony McLemore. And I'm Steve Truitt. This week, the rescue of a vessel under attack reunites Pike with a past love. But that reunion quickly becomes bittersweet when the Enterprise uncovers a horrific truth they are prohibited from interfering in. Here's a Warp Speed recap of Strange New Worlds Episode 6, Lift Us Up Where Suffering Cannot Reach. is a very special child chosen at birth by lottery to embody our maxim. Science, service, sacrifice. Are you the boy's father? Strictly in a biological sense. It is the eve of the first servant's ascension to the throne. So I ask that you renew your vows. Present your coins. Your coin, what happened? It's nothing. An accident. Stop it. Laura? Laura? Laura, you have to stop this. He chooses it freely. Okay, Anthony, this week, uh, I wasn't sure what to expect. We're, you know, five, six episodes in now. It's starting to settle in. The characters are starting to settle in. I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought this episode was pure Star Trek. Uh, Definitely pure Star Trek in the sense that now we have an episode that is uh, more cerebral and uh, goes more to our morality, what kinds of decisions would we make in the in similar situations. It wasn't an action episode per se, but it, it was definitely what I call a cerebral episode. Yeah, I think so too. It really uh, put into context what the Prime Directive is all about, what the mission is all about, and we start to actually see Pike less of a facilitator and more of a guy that goes down on the planet and starts to, you know, really inject himself as the decider, so to speak. Captain, we're receiving a distress call from a non-Federation shuttle. They say they're under attack. From who? Scans indicate a small combat cruiser, light armaments, non-Federation ID. So we start off with a distress call from a ship and it reunites him with a past love. Lieutenant Pike? And Laura? You know her, Captain? Or should I call you Lieutenant? Well, A, I was ready to see what kind of Captain Pike was going to be in that department as compared to Captain Kirk. 
He, you know, I, 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 you know, listen, James T. Kirk, William Shatner will always be our God, right? He, he lives in the pantheon. He, he has his own place in the stars. But I got to say that Anson Mount's portrayal of Pike, it has so many facets to it. It's, you know, works on so many levels. And now we see him almost blushing when she shows up and she's like, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Pike. And he's like, hey, it's Captain now. It's cold. Sure. Like, he, he's all giddy like a kid. Your uh, new uniform is very yellow. Oh, when's gold, technically, because I'm um, <laughs> a captain, so. And um, I love the way he does it. He just really does everything. It seems quite effortlessly. Oh, yeah. And so when Alora comes on the ship, clearly we know that there's history. And I, it was it was really nice to see that he's not Mr. Super Macho. Um, he's just like one of us when we see somebody from our past um, that we we had a crush on that we were in love with and he's just taken back and number one really like rib you know sticks him in the ribs for it uh this is my number one una a lieutenant commander una chin riley allow me to take you to the ready room to debrief and you could just see that he's just completely thrown off his game it's kind of a kind of a meow moment like i think we know that una i don't know She's not in love with Pike, but at the same time, there's definitely a territorial feeling for her there. I kind of got the sense. Oh, when she makes that remark, wow, you're always in shuttle accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's up with you, that man? That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. She's, uh, I'm, I'm really digging her, her position. You know, she's not, her number one is definitely a different number one from, say, Riker or from Spock. Uh, in the original series, um, I, I really like how she presents herself. It, she's part comedian, part hard ass, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, we've seen both. We've seen her softer side, her funnier side, and and her tough side. We saw um, <clears throat> um, we saw both in in the previous episode where she, uh, you know, had was tough at first, and then you know played Enterprise Bingo. Exactly. But even then, she's still kind of a hard ass. Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. I love her. She, she never really l- lets it all down. I mean, same thing with uh, Lon Nguyen Singh. They never really let their hair down completely. It's just very ever so subtle. They're trying. Yeah. <laughs> but never I think, so much. I, I think, you know, I don't have a lot of criticism for this show, which is rare for me. I'm usually pretty critical of virtually anything Star Trek because I want it to be so perfect. This is as close to perfect as you could get. I would say with Noonie and Singh's character this week, um, it felt a little rookie-ish acting-wise. I think she could really... I know she's tough and she's a security officer, and I get that. And I know she's got her past, but I think she needs to play it down a little bit. It just feels a little too, too strong for me. Nice of you to join us, cadet. Did you find your break restful? Super restful, thanks for asking. Lesson two of security. There are no breaks in security. It get, it could become a one note if she continues like this. She needs to definitely show a different facet of herself. Um, and like I just stated a second ago, they never let their hair completely down. So if she's gonna be rigid like this, 
all the way through, then after a while, it's going to get played out. At least with number one, you've seen her as a counselor to Pike. You've seen her try to have fun, but not. But you've also seen her in her episode where she was trying to investigate um, what was going on as the ship's crew was being affected by an illness. Right. So I've, you feel like you've seen a little bit more of a complete a complete story you know, with number one, as opposed to Law and Nguyen Singh. Yeah, and I think too, just not to not to belabor this too much. You look at someone like Hammer, uh, played by Mark Hurrock, is it? By the way, I did a um, whole yeah. bunch of research on him. He's like a painter. It's fascinating. If you ever have a chance to Google him, and just he he's been doing so much stuff long before a lot of theater and stuff. He's really well trained, and he's just a fascinating guy. Um, but his Hammer is tough. And unrelenting, but it's subtle. And I think I, I, I would love to see that from La'an. I'd love to see her um, maybe, you know, maybe next season. She gets this season under her belt. You know, it's hard to be a main character on Star Trek. There's a lot of pressure. I must insist you take us to your medical facility. Of course, right away, uh, Chief Kyle will escort you down. Uh, sorry, are you the boy's father? Strictly in a biological sense. So Alora comes on board the ship with a ten-year-old, uh, what I would think is about around a ten or twelve-year-old boy, and this and this man, and Pike asks the man, "Is this your son?" And he just says, "Only in the biological sense." Right. So automatically, I'm like suspicious. What does this mean? What is going on? And there's just these subtle looks that something's up. Obviously, something's up with this kid, and there's something that Alora is holding back. Yeah, and and. Throughout the entire episode, and this is why I liked it so much, is that throughout the entire episode, we get this. There's a lot of question marks that keep stacking up, like planes waiting to take off at a runway, you know. And we don't get those answers until the very end, which we'll, we'll talk about at the very end of this episode. But it was a little unsettling for me to, to, to not know a lot of these answers. But I love the way they set them up, and then they, of course, answered all of them. So it was, it was brilliant. First Servant is a very special child, a holy figure, chosen at birth by lottery to embody our maxim, science, service, sacrifice. But yeah, the introduction of this kid, he, he's this you know crucial member of their society, and he's waiting for his ascension. What, what's, what do they call him? The first? The first servant. Yeah, the first servant, which is, you know, service, sacrifice, and I can't remember what the third thing was. I just watched the show. <laughs> Sorry. It's early in the morning. Um, but here he is getting ready for his ascension, and he seems as to be this, this boy king, almost kind of the way we choose the Dalai Lama here on Earth. Cute kid. You find out that he's really, really smart. Uh, they go down to the medical bay and, and, you know, we're scanning him and he has this ability to heal because the Majel- the, Maj- the Majalis have um, completely figured out how to alleviate illness with their implants. There. Just wanted to check that his quantum bio implants are functioning. Thank you. He has quantum bio implants? And I'm just like, wow, what is going on here? This kid's really special. Their people are special. Um, but we're going to find out there's more to this. Well, I think what was so great about it is this concept of this boy who's got this cellular level ability to re- reconstitute his own flesh is is so intriguing because it takes place in sickbay where Ambega has just you know said hi to his daughter again, who's like, I'm kind of tired of being in the pattern buffer, <laughs> you know, and. Again, I think Ambega puts in just a phenomenal performance 
I love how he is so layered with his emotions and and his ability to, you know, you know, messing around with Nurse Chapel and the kid and then but then, you know, you can see he's really intrigued by the possibility of perhaps finding a cure for his daughter. My implants rebuild biological functions using quantum mechanics. It's a it's a great hopeful moment. Absolutely. And back to your uh, previous point, your question was, it's science, service, and sacrifice. That's it. Science, course, service, sacrifice. Word, right. Yes, and the key word for this particular episode, of course, is going to be sacrifice. Sacrifice. It just hangs out there. You know, and as, you, as I was going through the episode, that never, that creed uh, never meant as much, of course, until we got to the end. Well, yeah, because <laughs> they, cause they put sacrifice last, and you, you, you know— uh, the Peace Corps has something similar to that. You know, most peace endeavors are like, you know, we, we're here to serve and, you know, sometimes we sacrifice. Starfleet sacrifices personal lives for duty, right? But it's not duty, like duty on our country with the Marines. It's sacrifice. Yeah, you're right. So if, if, they did, if they wanted to tip their hat, it would have been sacrifice, service, and science or something like that. They, they put that out there early, and I, I like how they cleverly dropped it in there. And it's something that you really don't, pay much attention to because we've we we like you just went through several creeds i mean they're creeds for every organization and um you know i'm a fraternity guy and <laughs> yeah. uh, service sacrifice wasn't part of it but service was right uh, among other things and so you hearing that creed is something that just kind of blows by because we're just so used to hearing the different creeds and mottos right and they don't they don't push it they they leave it on the table and keep keep piling up the question marks, which I, it just was so brilliantly woven. Like, yeah, like you said, we find out later that sacrifice really is the point. And I don't it's just just really good writing. They had three writers on this one this week and, and they just did a great job. Your implants might realign peptide bonds within any degraded protein at the bare minimum. If this is true. Disease and suffering will be things of the past. So Mbega's interest is, is peaked because this kid has quantum bio implants. And so they can uh, realign peptide bonds with any degraded proteins, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, you know, we, we have the scene where Mbega is reading to his daughter. When King Ridley turned, the wizard Pollux pushed him right over the cliff. Daddy, you just read me the same exact chapter twice in a row. And I really like that moment because you get a chance to see what it must be like to have a daughter that's effectively in suspended animation that comes out every once in a while. And he loses track of things that he said. For, for him, time you know, is, is charted in days, weeks, and months. For her, it's charted in minutes. Yeah, moments. And hours and moments. And so it's, it, it must, as a parent, I, I feel like that would be taxing after a while. Well, how interesting is it that it, it parallels true parenting, where we get so involved in our lives, we get so involved with our jobs, we're exhausted. The, 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 the little time that we do spend with our children, for those of us who are parents, you and I are, um, it's, it's sometimes, you know, truth be told, can be an afterthought because we're so busy building our lives and sustaining our lives and, you know, spending time with kids at the end of the day to read a book, we're so exhausted. It's the last bit of vapors we have left of energy. And, yeah, kids like, you just read that to me or you said that before. We can lose ourselves. It was a, it was a great allegory, I thought, and, and a great parallel to 
what all parents deal with. It was a touching moment. I I love what I love that backstory. I I didn't think I would, but I really love that they that they put that in there as part of Mbenga's story because it's it makes him so human. Yes, and it gives us a lot of motivation because now when you know we there's mention of the quantum bio implants. I'm like okay. Immediately, you're like, okay, what will happen? Will Mbega step over the line? Uh, what is he going to ask? What does this mean? Because clearly we know that's a tip-off, that, that Mbega is going to be involved in this in some way, somehow. There's going to be a revelation about the kid. Maybe this, this, there's some kind of secret behind these implants. Uh, it could benefit Mbega's daughter. It could not. But what is that going to push Mbega to do? Because he's already behaved uh, outside of his character when he was trying to protect um, his daughter inside the uh, transporter bay buffer. Which, to me, says, isn't that kind of probably against Starfleet regulations? You know, Una knows about it. The captain doesn't. She's keeping his right. secret. But, I mean, what if an admiral found out about this or the... or. The Federation found out about it. I mean, is that okay? Well, the entire internet's on fire because everybody's trying to figure out how Mbega in the original series is not the chief medical officer and Bones is. And so everybody's um, surmising that he was uh, demoted because of what he did. Oh, that's, <laughs> I, that, yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking that that's later. Like, I, I thought, oh, well, he moves on to another thing. Maybe, maybe, you know, who knows? But maybe he says, I mean, obviously, we're not going to, this is not Kirk's enterprise. This is Pike's enterprise. And, you know, um, sometimes officers go with their commanders, right? Just like some people leave a business to go to where their boss is. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting. But my my thing would be she his daughter gets cured and he retires and goes off and, you know, raises her. Let's sweep the area. Be alert for any surprises they left behind. So Alon and Uhura go down to the, the crash site of the ship that attacked Alora's vessel. And so they're looking for evidence. And um, Alora comes after them and finds an oath coin. So this is like a, you know, a big moment. This means something, this, this coin. And um, we find out that these, uh, these coins belong, belong to the Lanerian guards of the highest order. These are the people who have sworn to protect the first servant. Right. Uh, which leads to Alora having a meeting with all the, the Lanerian guards. It is the eve of the first servant's ascension to the throne. So I ask that you renew your vows, present your coins. Right. So and this is another place where, you know, Pike, she and Pike are uh, together and Pike can't interfere. But he says, can I be your friend? Can I go down as your friend? And we see this in the original series. I, I can't put my finger on which episodes they were where Kirk had to do similar things. Uh, there were a few. But for Pike to literally stand behind her and just be there is very prime directive, is very uh, in line with what Starfleet protocols are. And there he is as she's inspecting these guards. Now, you know one of them is going to have a scratched coin because you're not allowed to deface these coins in any way. You have to protect them like you protect the first servant. And um, she finds one. Your coin, what happened? It's nothing. An accident. I, I kind of saw that coming a mile away. Oh, yeah. And then let me backtrack just a hair. When she finds that coin and explains it to, to Pike, at, the, at that point, I was starting to feel like 
this the father of the first servant something was up with him yeah and that that clearly there must be some involvement that was my first you know tip off that you know things aren't adding up yeah he's he's dodgy cagey uh, from his first words, he's my biological son. Yes, you're just like, wait, what? What's going on? Um, and he's pulling the kid away, and he's very stern about certain things. And there's your beautiful red herring. Like, what's up with this guy? Like, in no way do we not see him as someone who's suspicious. Conversely, Allura is loving, charming, and sweet, and she and Pike, you know, have got this thing going on. Exactly. And you're, you're wondering um, his closeness to how his closeness to her is going to affect his ability um, to serve. Yeah. Because there's definitely here a conflict of interest that's brewing. Right. So this, you know, it's <laughs> it's like a duck, duck, goose. Coin, 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 bad coin. Um, the guy gets up and he runs, which is a weird thing to do, in my opinion, this is a strange scene. I thought it was directed interestingly for a lot of reasons. One, the guy runs. They've got these sticks that can either fight, you know, in close hand-to-hand combat or shoot some kind of energy pulse. No one shoots an energy pulse. They just chase him. He turns around right, and he, shoots an energy pulse. He turns around and wipes one It just, just completely <laughs> obliterates a guy. I'm like, all right, that doesn't make sense at all. Um, and then there's this very interesting shot from about – 100 feet above where he's running and he turns the corner on this grass kind of precipice and he's being chased. The camera never moves. He runs out of the shot and then they just cut to another shot. So I thought it was a an interesting choice there from the director. I didn't love it. Uh, it was kind of an awkward thing. But anyway, I, I mean, I, I always look at these things also from how do they produce the show, not just the story, um, how they direct. So I thought that was an interesting um bit of choicing there from the director but he runs off and he's somehow he's able to knock down every guard that goes after him no one's shooting pulses at him uh and then he's finally cornered which if you want to which if you want to get answers you wouldn't want to kill the the one person that could give you those answers you know that's a great point i didn't i didn't think of that yeah you're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, wouldn't they stun him, though? Couldn't they? People kill, isn't there a stun the setting on their magic get... glow stick of destiny? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe because any threat would have to be met with extreme force. I don't know. Um, right. So he gets cornered. This is where Pike, you know, jumps in, gets his gun out. That awesome phaser, that TOS phaser, which I love. Oh, my, yeah. It's my favorite phaser. <laughs> no. Why were you on that ship? To fulfill my oath and to renounce everything this floating house stands for. Long live the first servant! The interesting thing is that Allura, you know, she jumps right in the middle between the two, which makes sense. And But then she approaches him, which doesn't make sense, and then he wraps her up and damn near cuts his throat. Her throat, rather. Like, yeah, but then surprisingly, she can handle herself, and she <laughs> dumps him on the ground, and yeah. he gets stabbed in the heart. Gives him a little, gives him a little, little arm twist, and boom. Careful, cadet. Remember to chew. All right, you're on rotation with Lieutenant Noonien Singh, or gets around. 
Okay, back at the ship, Uhura's having a meal, and Sam Kirk pops in. I love Where that. Where did this dude come from? And he's just like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? Out of, out of cheesy mustache. I know. It's just like this dude comes in, and I'm just like, is Sam <laughs> Kirk supposed to be comic relief or what? Well, I, I, I think <clears> – <throat> here's what I really think, and I could be wrong. They wanted us to hear the name Kirk in the first episode. They're like, Anson Kirk or whatever he is. And we're all like, oh, Kirk, 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 Kirk. And then they're like, no, it's Sam Kirk. And then they're like, okay, well, now what do we do with him? Well, they injured him for a while, so they kept him out. And then, yeah, he's kind of the the, the Jar Jar Binks right now of the Enterprise. <laughs> like, he walks in, he's kind of goofy, and he walks out. Uh, he may have stuff later, but I'm kind of thinking he may not. <laughs> That's a good one, Jar Jar Binks. I mean, it's like a curse word. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's the worst decision in space. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Anytime you uh, introduce the word Jar Jar Binks to any kind of conversation, you know where it's going. Yeah, exactly. Um, But but he does, you know, provide those those moments. And and it was good to see him again. And then he's off there in the background. You can see you see that mustache a mile away. Take a look at these data chips. Are these from the crash site? I may have liberated them. Uh, Salon so walks in and gives Ahura the data chips, and so Ahura's linguistic skills are called into service. Yeah, and you know, at first I was I wasn't sure what she's doing. She's she's doing this doing this rotation. Now I understand what the I didn't get the rotation at first. Now I get it. She has to go through every facet of operations on the ship to understand them. I get that now. That's what cadets do. So. That makes sense to me, and it, it and it's great because we're when she's set up at Pike's dinner, you know, episode one or two, I can't remember which one. Um, <clears throat> she's like, "Yeah, I speak thirty-seven languages." <clears throat> Excuse me. And of course, Laan's going to be like, "Hey, listen, you know, let's let's do this." I know I'm not supposed to, and I like that. I think that that's what does happen. I think that you do see people bending and breaking the rules in real life, and I think. That's a really good aspect of this show where you may not have seen that in Next Generation or, or something else. Well, I, I think it's real life. I mean, you break rules to solve problems sometimes, and it, it goes against protocol. But sometimes I remember watching, um, uh, what was it, uh, SWAT with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, and they were trying to get recruits, and they're meeting with different officers, and he asked one officer, um, you know, sometimes you have to get a a, a little dirty. Not that I'm uh, uh, not that I'm endorsing that, but what he says is sometimes doing the right thing isn't doing the right thing. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It's a great and line. So you see that with Laon. She's getting she, you know, took these uh, data chips, and you know that wasn't the right thing to do. That was you know against protocol. But it's a key thing that's going to help them solve this case. And what it does is it lets us know that. Uh, the question marks that are being stacked up are going to start to fall. We're going to start getting some answers, and the key really is is in the transcription of these of these things. And who better than Uhura? So I like her purpose. I I, I guess I, I'm I'm warming up to the fact that she's a cadet. There's no other choice, um, and I like what they're doing with her. I think I think it works. So. You know, here she is, and and we get to see her a little bit later. Actually, step up and own her dis- own discovery, which is great. Sad and a patient with mast cell signal came here. Eleven-year-old female. Could quantum bio implants reverse cellular degranulation? 
in Vegas with the first servant's father, and that's where he makes his inquiry because we're back to this this whole quantum implant thing. Yeah, and you know, in Vega, you know, his first priority, well, his first priority, of course, is to the ship, but his his next priority, which is still his first priority, would be his daughter, and so he's he's going to take his opportunity to to find out if he can you know take some of this technology and apply it to his daughter, but he's shut down because they don't they're you know the Majalis are not a part of the Federation, and and just like the Federation uh, didn't mix with the Illyrians in the previous episode, they don't mix with the Federation. They don't share technology. Yeah, which makes sense, and uh, I, I I like that. And you know, it's revealed later. We go down to the planet. And we see the planet from from the beginning of the biotech conversation with the first servant all the way through to us really seeing the planet. To me, this is like a Wakanda experience. They are far advanced. They live on their own little place. They don't mess with the world. The world doesn't mess with them. It's this secret society that keeps to itself and has superior technology. And again, you know, when we see the planet, it, it, it reminds me a lot of Wakanda. You've even got these ceremonial drums in the music. It really made me feel like, you know, we were checking out T'Challa's planet. We'll put a pin in in that whole conversation because we we just cut there briefly just to establish the fact that you know Mbega's being turned being turned down. So now we get to Pike and Allure's love scenes. I'm gonna put a guard out here just to be safe. You don't have to do that. You could come in with me instead. So uh, you know Pike's out there. He wants to stay in guard, but she invites him in. Well, for, he says I'll assign a guard, and she's like, "How about you?" <laughs> Exactly. You know, exactly. So I was like, I'm, I'm like super interested now. I'm like, okay, how's this going to play out? How is, what is Pike's style of romance? Right. Cause usually it's Kirk moving in. Pike, she moves in, kisses him. There's a moment like, okay, is he or isn't he? Is he going to kiss her back or is he not? And he leans in and, you know, slow dissolve to, you know, post activity. There's a beautiful, there's giggling. And there's that wonderful tracking shot of all the clothes on the floor, you know, just like any romance movie or TV show you'd watch. And there they are in bed. And, and, and he, interestingly enough, was kind of in the vulnerable position. He's laying in her lap and she's stroking his hair. And um, I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. It's not the uber macho thing we're accustomed to he is um, but he is a fully modern fully realized human being this pike i don't know what anson mount is like but pike is like as close to you know the modern man as you can be yes i mean he didn't <laughs> for i don't want to be crass he didn't take it he didn't take seize the moment he kind of walked into the moment and we well, let it happen organically said. right <laughs> And yet in this episode, we see so many things of him. He's a romantic. He's sensitive. And then, you know, he can also put up a pretty good fight. You called, Cadet. You asked for a needle in a haystack, and I found it. Well, uh, Ahura did end up um, studying the uh, databanks and found some interesting things. So we we realized that there's a a second planet called uh, Prospect 7, uh, which Allura just kind of dismisses another culture that... You know, they've been at peace with all these years, um, which was stated earlier. But we find out that they share a common base language. Right. So so the investigation, this this is a, a really smart 
tactic to use. This is the tactic of, you know, almost like it was with Star Trek Insurrection, where, you know, the people on the planet turned out, the people attacking the planet turned out to be part of that society. Those people were rejected. Um, I think it was the Baku. And, exactly. Yeah. And so, first of all, I just, I don't know. I just love the name Prospect 7. I just, some of these things about Star Trek I love, and that's just one of them. I just love that. Um, yeah, we panned for gold. Yeah. Prospect yeah. 7. And it, it's a great clue because now you start to realize, well, now you start to question everything. This is where our question marks start to happen. Like, well, wait a second. Was that attack on Allura's ship real? By the way, I just want to say this: the graphics in this episode were phenomenal. When that, I, I, you can place this in the beginning, when that attack ship sent out cables to grapple onto the smaller shuttle, I just—they're spending a lot of money on this production, and it shows. It's just—I love watching this show. Anyway, which uh, is why there are only ten episodes. Uh, exactly, <laughs> that's what it is. They can spend that kind of money. Uh, oh, I'm so sad. We're we're over halfway through, um, but it, it does start to set up. Well, wait a second. Who can we actually trust? And isn't it always the sweet, nice person, like someone like Allura, who now may be someone who's suspect? We don't know. Prospect Seven, if they are related in some kind of way, I was thinking. Well, is Prospect Seven like a penal colony? Or uh, exile planet. Yeah. You know, what's the case? So these things are starting to pop into my head. And now I'm, you know, like you, I'm starting to question everything. I don't trust the lore anymore. Right. She's definitely hiding secrets because she looked down so many times yeah. when questions were asked. Yeah. And it was, you know, you know, obvious that she's hiding, hiding things. And there are questions, the questions that need to be answered. Yeah. And, and because she, it's interesting. She, here's, here's what all of us may have missed. And I missed it until this exact moment. And you mentioning, you know, just looking down. You know, she virtually spends no time with the child at all. And yet she's obsessed with him. He's the first servant. He's going to ascend. In a way, it's like, I can't get close to this person. Why? Right? Like, we we find out later and we'll talk about it. But she doesn't even spend time with the kid. And he's this, you would think you'd want to be around him all the time. To me, that's a clue. That That says to me... Okay, something's going. Something's up. Uh, that's true. That's true. So yeah, I mean, just just so many things. I was just becoming more and more suspicious as this was going on. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm now I'm like at this point, like, okay, I, I need to know what the hell is going on here. And so my interest has definitely been piqued. This is another thing that they're doing. I think quite well. They they've done this in virtually every episode. They wrap up a lot of stuff in the fourth block, and there's five blocks, I believe, for the for yes, these five shows. Acts. Mm-hmm. Five acts. So by the fourth block, a lot of it's wrapped up. And we'll talk about that right now. I think we're in the fourth act right now. But they always leave the fifth act for a lot more. And I, I'm like, wow, this is so great because you know that there's more coming. And I love that writing style. It seems now not accidental. It seems intentional. Captain, good. Tell your transporter chief that we need to return to the surface now. We agreed that the first servant was safer here. So back on the ship, all of a sudden, um, the first servant and his dad are, are about to beam off the ship. Yeah. And then they beam off, but then the father's beamed back and the kid's missing. So it looks like the combat ship has taken 
is a new ship from Prospect Seven has come in and and taken the first servant. So he's like, oh my gosh, what is what's what's happening here? He's been taken, right? And and, um, and so the ship's trying to get away, and they have it in a tractor beam, and and all of a sudden it explodes. And I'm just like, what just happened here? Oh well, my gosh, I mean, they killed, it, they killed it was the kid. It was it was uh, I thought a really great way to handle it in that it exploded because Enterprise, you know, Pike ordered the tractor beam and there was a warning. Don't, you know, just graze it. Don't mess with it. You know, and they're like, or excuse me, that's that was the first one. They've got it in the tractor beam and they say, well, let's let's pull off because it's going to damage the ship and the first servants there. Don't pull any damage. And it tries to go to warp on you know, while in this tractor beam and they and Pike decides, OK, let's disengage. But before the tractor beam can be disengaged, going to warp destroys the ship itself. It's almost like suicide. Like, I'd rather just get away. Uh, I'd rather die than, you know, be caught. And you got to wonder, like, well, who would rather die? And if you're going to kidnap the first servant, why would you risk your life and his life to do it? There's no exactly. there's no value there. Why not just kill the first servant or you know, take him for hostage for ransom, but risking his life gets you nothing and you die yourself. It's an unimaginable loss. It means our world is over. If the first servant doesn't ascend, Majalis will fall out of the sky. The fallout from that is, is that, you know, Lord's like freaked out. Our whole way of life is, is, is done. We're done as a planet. Right. You know? And we're just like, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the significance of this kid? I mean, he's a leader. I get it. Um, he's picked through lottery, got it. So now at this point, I'm just like going, oh, oh, please. But the question is, 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 is the crucial is this role. Is Snowpiercer? No, no, right. Exactly. Is his role an inspiration like a Dalai Lama type of person? Or is it something more, does he, when he ascends, does he become like Beastmaster where he can control the lava? Like, we don't know what's going on. Captain. Can you join me on deck 17? I have discovered something I think you need to see. Well, then Spock comes to Pike, and this kid's a brainiac, so he had figured a way to beam himself, you know, onto back onto the Enterprise, and they find him in a, I guess, a cargo hold or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hey, we found him. So he gets returned to the planet, and uh, now, you know, we have the ceremony and still, you know, you're thinking everything's happy. Think, All right. The kid, he's ascending. He's about to ascend. You know, right. Meanwhile, on the ship circumstance. Right. Meanwhile, on the ship, the, the father, you know, is like, did you know, did he I mean, what we missed here was that he, he was beamed to that cargo hold and found by Spock and Pike. And it's like, well, wait, who did that? But, yeah, he's down on the planet. And the father's like, if he's down there, then, then, you know, my job, then I, sh- then I do belong here. Captain Pike is on Majalis with the first servant. He returned him. So we're like, well, wait a second. Was he now trying to stop him from the ascension? Like, who's, who's the bad guy here? Well, quickly, we were starting to understand that, that maybe the, the dad isn't the bad guy. He's, right. He's, because, I mean, from the very beginning, he was dejected. By the whole the whole thing, you can yeah. You know, when he said you know he's my son in the biological sense, right? You could tell that he's irritated, and so now this is starting to make sense. You know, he's dejected once again. He's given up. He said now he's down on the planet. Well, that's it. Yeah, I guess I I sh- then I do belong here. In other words, he failed, yeah. but failed at he what? Failed, right? So 
the kid's there. He's, he's being, you know, celebrated by everybody. And then there's this moment between Pike and Allura where he's like, what the hell's going on here? And she just kind of looks down and she's busted. And he knows it. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but here's the deal. She invites him to the ascension, which is what I, I was just completely thrown by. And so. Well, love makes you moment, crazy. I think she loves him. She would love yes. for. She said many times, please come be here and be part of our lives. She fully accepts what's about to happen. Right. And so, yes. like any woman, if you love me, you love my life. <laughs> you love everything about me. And I really believe that she thought that he would love this part of her, which is the acceptance of this boy's ascension. It's a child. Stop it. He chooses it freely. And we honor his sacrifice. What? All of a sudden we see um, th- them carting off um, a body and it's revealed that it's a, a, a dead kid who well, looks well, like he's been drained. Yeah, here, here's what happens there. They, so we start to realize that the ascension, you know, may not be what we thought it was. And here's where that word sacrifice comes into play. They go into this underground cavern kind of place. Now, I'm going to pull this reference totally out of my butt, but I know someone listening knows this. This is our Joe versus the volcano moment, right, where Tom Hanks is essentially tricked into believing he's dying. So he'll go to this remote island nation and throw himself into a volcano to appease the Waponis and, you know, make his sacrifice. <laughs> so if, if anyone listening has not seen Joe versus the volcano, you must watch it. It's one of Tom Hanks' best films. It was done in the 80s. It's amazing. Uh, but this is our Joe versus the volcano moment. We're in there and we're starting to realize they pull out this body and we realize that the that this kid is the next sacrifice. He now has willingly accepted this sacrifice. The question is, what is he sacrificing and what's it going to do for all the people of the planet? That was never fully realized, but you... Um, and that was never fully revealed, but you realize that this kid is plugged into the planet somehow, and I guess all of his implants and all this this stuff plays into yeah. the maintenance of the planet. And you know, Pike tries to stop it, and he's he's knocked out. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, when I saw that that the body of the other child, I just immediately was like, uh, reminded me of Snowpiercer, the first version. Uh-huh. They use people as the to, to run the, the, the train that went around the world? Yes, and, and maybe even the Matrix, where human beings are used as batteries. This one seems a little bit more, because remember, it's science, then service, then sacrifice. So they, they don't plug into his body. They plug into his brain. And he's, he's got this, you know, he's extremely bright. He's highly intelligent, very knowledgeable, quite wise. And he's got these... You know these 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 cellular implants. It it yes, I love that they don't answer the question. I, I didn't think I would, but if something about his chemical and intellectual makeup, I think, sustains right. the planet or keeps the people alive, or maybe keeps the planet from becoming a fully volcano. Maybe keeps the cloud cities floating. We don't know. Right, and and the good thing is. Uh, it, it didn't have to be answered. Everything doesn't have to be answered because there's a broader point. 
And it goes back to the word sacrifice yeah. and what a society will accept. So they sacrifice one kid to maintain their way of life. This, it's all founded on the suffering of a child. Can you honestly say that no child suffers for the benefit of your federation? And, um, and the thing about it was is that Allure pointed it out to, to Pike. You know, we, we're honest about what we do. We, we don't turn we don't turn away we, we we sacrifice one child to maintain our way of life but the federation how many children are hurt by what the federation and suffer does? and you turn away well, well she actually suffer. she it's a, she makes a pretty much direct parallel to modern day earth which is how many children suffer while the rest of you grow rich and enjoy the spoils of your successes and don't even pay attention we look at it and we honor it and I thought that was just kind of a really brilliant middle finger to the excesses of of a society. Exactly, and and it's a it's a middle finger or a a, a calling out of how it's always been throughout history. Yeah, um, progress has been made on the backs of many many people, sure. and people have accepted it and 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 turned the other cheek. I mean, I mean slavery. Uh, um, yep. The knocking out of many other cultures in, yeah. in, in different countries. Uh, and and again, I'll say it, this it happens all the time. Right. And I will say again, this is pure Star Trek. This is this is the original series reborn because that's what the original series did. They drew parallels to today's society without hitting us over the head with it. Just showing showing the captain having a problem with how another society lives their life and then they turn and go you do the same thing right or you know you don't teach us how or you don't and we don't care but it's always a ref- it's a it's a real reflection of our own society and how the other person who's doing those terrible things reacts they'll fight they'll tell us we're just like us or they'll learn from us it's one of them and that and that's pure star trek i love that that hypothetical patient Psychokemia. Her case stuck with me. I thought perhaps if I could take a look at the file, I could walk you through the theory behind the treatment. We end with back with Mbega. He's with the first servant's father, and the first servant's father extends a olive branch. Which I thought, which surprised me because of the way it was in the beginning, because I thought there's no way. But but of course, it makes perfect sense now. Now that the father was unable to save his own son, which it seems to me that's what he was trying to do. Um, and it looked like maybe he faked the kid's death. Uh, I, I'm not sure uh, by by pretending that he was on the ship that exploded. But he, it wasn't an absolute. It was, I think, you know, give me the file. I'll see what I can do. And there's, you're right, there's the olive branch. And there's the reaching across the stars. And what we see here is Aluria is, she's completely on board with, the ascension of of this child and the father is like you know what maybe our ways you know maybe they're not perfect maybe i can help somebody else maybe you know cuz they live on that planet no one ever really goes there and now he's saying okay well listen you know maybe i could help mbega and mbenga rather and i i love that i i, I think that i'm glad that they didn't just give it to the kid like oh here you go they said, let me think about it. Give me the file. And then that's great because that just spreads it out. It just keeps the story going. I love that. 
ultimately, this episode questions <clears throat> the needs of the many outweigh, does the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Or the one. And, and I just thought that they perfectly brought that in at the end, that that's what I thought of. The whole planet, you know, survives off of the back of one person. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even put that together. But yeah, there, there's another great Star Trek theme for you. Um, I like that Pike leaves and leaves her behind. He has to, obviously, because of his duty. But it, it's interesting, too, that um, that he still has that affection for her. And I think we may see that again. I, I don't know if that's a one-off for him. Maybe it is. Maybe so. But because this is the second time he's encountered her in his life, there may be a third. Maybe in second season, third season, we'll find out. I hope there's 10 seasons of this show, but we'll find out. All right, here's a sneak peek at next week's episode of Strange New Worlds, Episode 7, The Serene Squall. We picked up a distress signal on a nearby asteroid field. Could the colonists have the capacity to send one, even without their ships? It's possible. But I've also heard of pirates setting ambushes by cloning ship signals. Exactly what I told the captain. And I reminded Mr. Spock that regulation still strongly suggests that we investigate any distress signal. Yellow alert. Erica, take us closer, please. How close do you want to get? First date or third date? Blind date. Copy. Proceeding with caution, sir. Signal is growing stronger, but I have yet to detect a vessel of any kind. Red alert, full stop. Looks like a net. Except, you know, made of lasers. It's formed by multiple asteroids equipped with high-energy electromagnetic reflectors. Recommend we do not cross one of the beams. What happens when we do? At best, it will shut down the ship. And at worst? Kaboom? Indeed. We should avoid the laser. Looks good. All right, well, that looks good. Like, it's okay. just another great episode. I can't wait. I, I now am excited about everyone. I'm not, I'm no longer suspicious. <laughs> we'll always be suspicious. This show is always leading us in that direction. Okay. That concludes this episode of Energize. Thanks for joining us. Live long and prosper. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, engage now and hit the subscribe button. Leave us your feedback. And we'll see you next time.